glad to have you with us um, as we really now get into our uh, new course that we're doing called Old Testament Survey. This is uh, the first chunk of this will be uh, 11 or 12 lessons, and um, we're going we're gonna to go from Genesis to 1 Samuel. Uh, the end of First Samuel in, in a very short period of time. That's the, one of the advantages of doing a survey as we move through it. The last time I taught on Genesis was uh, during a season of time on Wednesday nights, and it took me 50 weeks. So uh, we're going to do Genesis in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> so it'll be a little different. If you want an in-depth one, it's all online. You can go and watch 50 uh, weeks of me teaching on Genesis. But um, these are for our courses in the Bible Institute. If you don't know, we have a Bible Institute. 800 and I think there was 819 students this morning from all over the world. And that uh, just kind of worked out that way. I didn't know that we'd have kids, uh, students from all over the world, but we do. And um, you can earn an associate's degree or bachelor's degree. It's all free. Uh, or you can just come in and sit in on the classes. There's 115 courses online now, and we're making new courses all the time on Wednesday evenings. And now we've also incorporated the weekend series into courses. If you want to take them to earn a college degree with us, then just get registered and a little extra work to get the degree, but not much. You can do a lot of it just by sitting here and listening to me. So that's good. So that's enough of that. Let's hop in to uh, Genesis and what we're going to talk about. There were sheets in the back if you wanted on the way in. They have some of the notes on them, but um, uh, let's kind of summarize Genesis so that we, we know what we're talking about when we get there. Genesis, great book. Obviously, I say that about all the books of the Bible. If there's one theme I want you to get um, that starts in Genesis and works its way through the Scripture, it's the crimson thread of redemption. So you, you, if you come on the weekends, you'll hear me talk about that um, from time to time. The crimson thread of redemption starts right after the fall in Genesis 3.15 with this verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. And from that point in time, um, what you're going to see that takes place through the Old Testament leading to the cross is this thread of redemption. And you're going to watch the enemy trying to stop it from taking place. And yet God is greater than the evil one. And so you can watch this thread as it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David to Jesus. And you'll see it moving all the way through from the beginning. So be looking for that, this great promise that, that there will be a Messiah who's going to come and ultimately straighten out the mess that was caused at the fall. You guys know what happened at the fall, right? We, that relationship got messed up big time. And all sorts of things have uh, uh, taken place because of that. So uh, you need to be aware of that thread as we go. And then Genesis 1.1. So... Uh, Genesis 1-1 begins in eternity past. And Genesis 1-1 causes a, a lot of problems for people in how they start thinking about what's going on there. Uh, and, and because, you know, God uh, created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and so... thing, And all of a sudden, this amazing world becomes uh, uh, a reality. And, and the universe and all sorts of things happening. Well, 
now we have struggles with that because we, we tend to read the scripture very scientifically, which is fine because it's true. Um, but you, you have to understand also that that um, you need to read it with a literary mindset as well. And so you, you need to be able to take things in and see what's taking place and what's going on. And, and so w- the amazing glory of all that God has done, you know, we can step back and just look and, and the... The, uh, the universe is an amazing, amazing thing. Galaxies, and there's so many galaxies, and all these things are happening. And God created all of them, and then here we are, and He created us. And when we read through the Scripture, and when you really read through this Genesis account, God speaks into creation ten times, and creates a paradise, and it creates a place where heaven and earth meet. So you need to understand that that's what ends up happening there. There's a place where heaven and earth meet. It's, it's in effect a, a cosmic temple, if you would, happens there in the garden. And then at the fall, that thing is blown apart, and there's not a place any longer where heaven and earth meet. And then we watch this thread of redemption happen, and pictures of it happening through the Old Testament with the, with the tabernacle, you know, where now there's going to be a place where heaven and earth meet, but nobody really has access to it but a high priest once a year. And then, and then you see it happen in the temple where that's moved to, but then the temple's destroyed, and there's no place, and there's nowhere where that takes place again until when? Until Jesus comes back. And then in Jesus, there's that place, once again, where heaven and earth meet. Jesus, fully God and fully man. And then Paul tells us, because of what Jesus does for us on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes, that we are all now that temple. The, we're the place where the heaven and, heaven and earth meet, meets in us. That, and that's what's going on in the process until Jesus comes back and restores the original creation. So when you, when you read the creation account... Um, you just really need to read it with this idea. You know, God didn't have to create the universe. He did it out of love. And, and the, you know, the, the love is best expressed towards something or someone. And, and God created everything as an expression of his love. And that's what you need to take away from it in the process. But, you know, we, we'll tend to sit here and pick at this thing and we'll wonder what in the world happened and was it how many days did it take for creation and how old is the earth? Uh, and we have a lot of questions that we try and answer and a lot of different theories are out there. So I think I've got a few in here that I thought I'd cover real quickly. Like, you know, all of you understand, you know, evolution is out there and evolution basically says there was no God. All random, uh, just kind of happened by some crazy chance. Uh, meeting of who knows what, but there's evolution out there. I'm not I'm not picking on any of these, but I'm probably obviously more in favor of some than others. There's a <laughs> there's theistic theistic evolution, which means God created the first cell and then He backed off and just let it happen where it went. Uh, there's uh, one called the day age theory that the days of creation are not literal 24 hour days. Some people believe that each, you know, thing was happening. There's the revelatory day uh, idea where Moses just was recording what he heard from the Lord uh, for a day at a time. So that, the idea is really that just Moses was paying attention to what was going on. There's the gap theory. Uh, and the gap theory is that God created everything once and then it didn't go so well. So he recreated everything. Uh, and that, that, you know, that now we have that sort of happening, uh, happened things since. Um, what we'll call the biblical model is that the earth is fairly young, eight, ten thousand years old, uh, and uh, things were started then. So, um, I, you know, uh, you kind of have to figure that out for yourself where, where you're going to sort of let your understanding be. 
Um, but uh, see, I'm not concerned about how these things fit, uh, you know, because I, I believe God's fully in, involved in all of this and that God created it. And I have my own ideas about it, about how he did those things. But I'm also not afraid of science because I think science, when it's done properly, always goes to truth. And Jesus is truth. And it all pushes back to him and leads to him anyway. So we can handle all sorts of things and discussions. And whether we're eight or ten thousand years old or we're much older, um, I don't care. Uh, I know what God did. I know that God created us because he loves us. I know that we blew that. And I know that he's got this plan in place to reconcile us in Christ. And all that's, that's what really matters. Everything else is just kind of out here. Uh, always try and keep the stuff that really matters as the main thing in your life. The main, the plain, and the same. Deal with those things. Everything else can just be sort of out here and talked about. And you don't have to be weirded out about it. The Bible's going to win out in every discussion. and always does. And uh, ultimately will. And it'll always be proved true. So we, we hang on that. And then we'll figure some of these things out as we go. Because it, it doesn't really say how long it took in the Bible. Uh, but it's, it's not even the real issue. It's, it's more, you know, what he did and how he did it. And the orderly fashion with which he did it. And me talking to you about how he created that, that place where heaven and earth meet. And why that matters. And so um, just kind of hang on to those ideas in the process. And then the dating the creation has uh, just created lots of speculation. Some 300 years ago or so, there was an Irish um, bishop. His name was uh, Usher, uh, not the one that you know. And, and uh, he, uh, he computed the date of creation by studying the genealogies of Genesis. And he believed that creation took place in 4004 B.C. The problem is when you start to date things, and you remember I gave you a scripture to date things by uh, last year, in, in, last week in the Bible, and I, there's one verse that we know is 966 B.C., the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Uh, we know that that's 966 B.C., so you can start to date things from that. I'm going to give you a few dates in a while. But where it falls apart is the genealogies sometimes are not father to son. Sometimes it was grandfather to grandson. And sometimes there were some missing generations in there that we know of. So it's, it's hard to put a pinpoint date on it. But again, that's really not the issue of trying to figure out when God did what he did. The big issue is that he did it. That's the main thing that matters. And so we take it from there. And, and so sometimes you'll look in the genealogies and you'll see some different people in the mix. It's because they're adding a, a son in the mix that, that they might have not had one genealogy. It went to a, a grandson, something like that. Um, also remember when you're, when you're reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, this is God giving these things to Moses. Moses writes these five books as he's inspired by the Lord. So he's not writing them at the time they happened. I and mean, he's writing it at some point after the Exodus, historically. So that's when he's recording those things as God gave him the history of creation and everything that took place. But there are some dates that are kind of interesting to have as you read through your Bible. And I, I listed them on those sheets for you, if you picked one up. And I, it's kind of handy, I think, if you, if you write in your Bibles, just to kind of put the, some of these dates in there as you're reading through. So like when you get to the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, we know that the death of Joseph. Now, this is, these are good solid dates. Um, 1805 B.C., somewhere in there. So the Exodus, if, you, uh, if you're in Exodus 1, 1876 B.C. Moses, the birth of Moses would have been around 1526 B.C. Um, Exodus 40, 
17 is 1445 B.C. Numbers, 1445 B.C. Deuteronomy, 34, the death of Moses is 1406 B.C. Joshua then, that book would start around 1406 B.C. Judges would be from 1385 to 1050. First Samuel around 1100. Second Samuel 1010 to 970. First Kings would run from 970 to 853. Second Kings from 853 to 586, which ends with the Babylonian captivity. First and Second Chronicles actually start with a genealogy again, so we get back to eternity past, running through 539 B.C. That's when Ezra speaks, and he speaks from 539. He's from 457. Nehemiah is around 445. Malachi is about 400 B.C. So that would be the last of our books in the Old Testament. And, and so he, he writes about 400. Then there's about 400 years of silence. Um, it's a sort of a quiet time. And then the next prophet on the scene is John the Baptist. All right. And he's the precursor to Jesus. And you guys know that story. So when you're looking through Genesis, I like to think of it this way. Uh, in the first 11 chapters, there's four major events that you need to be aware of. Four major events. That's the creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. So how many of you were with me when we did Genesis 50 weeks? We did all of it. Some of you were here. And you remember, I would, I would get that on you all the time. I'd say, I want you to remember these things. When you look into Genesis, you have to... Cause it, and then part of understanding that part of the story is if you want to find something in the Bible, you can find it pretty quickly by having an idea of what's in there. So uh, it's, it's not, that used to be a much bigger deal than it is now, because now if you don't know where something is, you can Google it. But there was a time, not that many years ago, before Google, if you, if you wanted to know where something was in the Bible, rather than doing an exhaustive concordant search, you had to sort of have an idea where it was. And so these were the ways that we sort of knew where they were. We knew that if we looked at Genesis, it's a, it starts, you know, about creation, and then it moves pretty quickly into the fall, and it moves pretty quickly in Genesis 6 or so to the flood, and then by chapter 11 or so, we're up at the Tower of Babel. And, uh, you know, the, the Adam and Eve sin, so you have creation, and then you have the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, and, then, and then we have that promise of a Redeemer, and Genesis 3.15, then Cain kills Abel, and... and uh, but God sent Seth then to carry on that line. However, the Sethites intermarried with the, the Canaanites, and, and that's, those people were not godly at all, and that's what led to the flood. Remember, the flood is sort of a, uh, a reset when, when the earth goes back to being a ball covered in water, just as it was when God started it in Genesis 1-1, when he worked there. After the flood, uh, Noah's descendants repopulate the earth, and it goes well for a little bit of time, but not much before just they all, everybody goes their own way again and leads to the Tower of Babel. Um, remember, at Babel, see, because the, the people were told to go and populate the earth. They were told to go all over and populate the earth. That's what was supposed to be happening. And they all sort of pocketed right there in that one spot. They wanted to be together in this big city, one big language. And then they start building this tower. And, and you know, the tower to reach to the heavens, it wasn't the idea. They were, they were building sort of a, a, a tower to a false god. And it was them saying, we're going to stay here in the city and watch what we can do. And so they completely weren't doing what was supposed to happen. And so, you know, with Babel, what happens at Babel is that God just comes in and confuses their languages. 
and then they sort of split up because they, they kind of end up with people that speak their language and they, they move all over as they go through that process. So Babel actually means the gate of the gods. So that's what they were building for themselves. And uh, huge rebellion again. And we have a lot of rebellion, I'm afraid. We still do. It's sin. And God tells us how we're supposed to do things and why. And we choose to do our own thing anyway. And all of us have done that. So you just see it played out in the scripture. But fortunately, now we have this thread of redemption that weaves through. So even when we get way out, God's plan is going to happen. We know that it happens at the cross. So that's very cool. By the time we get to Genesis 11, so, so the, first, the four things you need to remember about the beginning of Genesis, I'm just going to say them again, is, is uh, creation and the, the uh, fall and the flood, the Tower of Babel. All right, the next things that you need to remember are the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're going to take up the next 20-some chapters. And then you're going to get to Joseph, who's going to take up the last chunk of the book. So you need to remember those four guys. So, so, and, and then you have a pretty good handle on what's going to happen. What, what the whole big deal of Genesis is creation, which is, and obviously you could spend a lot of time talking about creation. The fall, we, we touched on it briefly. The flood, we've talked about here before. There's a lot of stuff that goes on with the flood, but I, can't, I don't have time to get into it tonight. And then the Tower of Babel, and then things are split. So then what happens next is we see that Abraham is called. In, uh, we find out where he's from. He's from Ur of the Chaldees. He's a Gentile. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's called by God to make this big movement. In chapter 12, let me read verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, and he was Abram when he first gets called. The ha gets added later. So uh, it actually gets changed. and there's, there's, It's pretty significant, but he's just Abram right now. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Um, and that's an a early picture of the Messiah will come out of Abraham's line is what's going to happen as part of that promise thread of redemption that you're going to be able to follow through. But that's how he's going to bless all the peoples on earth is with Jesus, the Messiah. So in uh, Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, it's all about something that's called the Abrahamic covenant. There are some major covenants that God makes with people that impact us today. And the covenant that he makes with Abraham is significant. And he promises many things. Um, he, he promises that he'd make Abraham's name great. Um, that Abraham would have numerous physical descendants, uh, that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Uh, God also made promises regarding a nation called Israel, and, and um, he, he lays out all, way back then the, the sort of territory that Israel will encompass, and, um, and all of the families of the world, the, the families that will be blessed through the physical line of Abraham, as I said, is the Messiah. Let me read a chunk of Genesis 15 to you. Beginning in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, uh, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look. 
up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's a significant verse. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Uh, I know this is kind of gruesome sounding, but that's how they would carry out a covenant. Is they, and it always involved the death of an animal, and they would split it and lay it on the sides, and they would walk through in between them. Uh, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. That's pretty cool. I mean, not for us, not for them, but you know that happens, right? But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. That was the Lord walking through the, the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Also, when you're reading Old Testament names, just act like you know what they're supposed to sound like. <laughs> Always read them with confidence. <laughs> When covenants were made in uh, ancient Chaldean, said they include the death of animals. God makes his covenant. And the significant thing is, normally everybody involved in the covenant would walk through to symbolize that they would both keep up their ends. God's the only one that walks through. God said, I'm going to keep this, and it wasn't dependent on Abraham. God's, God's going to be faithful, and he is, to the covenant. Um, Abram, uh, if you know the story, Abraham starts to doubt the promise when he's 86 years old. And he tries to make it happen in his own strength. So uh, we got some here that are 86-ish. So they decided they couldn't wait any longer for kids. Uh, and uh, he says, it's not happening with Sarah. I'm going to go out. And so you know the big problem is he, he, uh, he takes Hagar, and um, she's impregnated by Abraham's son, uh, by Abraham, and they have Ishmael. Uh, and Ishmael is... Um, uh, well, God takes care of Ishmael, but, but because they didn't wait, it's caused problems throughout. Uh, so he does that 86 when he's 99, uh, when Abram's 99, God reaffirms the covenant, his promise with him he, by my covenant, Genesis 17:21, I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. So he comes and he just reminds Abraham because Abraham got tired. Ever, anybody ever get tired of waiting? The problem is when you, when you get ahead of God, you end up with an Ishmael instead of an Isaac and it's a problem. It is. But waiting is hard, but it's part of the deal. And Abraham waited. And like all of these guys that you read about, in, in Gen- they wait for a long time. So uh, we'll skip on to Genesis 24 and 25, where Abraham arranges for a wife for Isaac. And Isaac marries Rebekah. And do you know how long they wait for children? 20 years. 20 years. They wait for 20 years. 
Uh, Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. That's kind of funny. So they named him Esau. <laughs> and after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old, and Rebekah gave birth to them. So you got Esau and Jacob. And Esau was born first, so all of everything really should be handed to him. However, uh, first thing that happens is that Jacob purchases the birthright from Israel for a bowl of lentil soup. Because Esau was really hungry. That's all I can think of. Uh, and so, so Jacob does that. And then in Genesis 27, Jacob actually deceives Isaac so he can get Isaac's blessing instead of Esau. So not only does he steal his birthright, he steals his blessing. And then he has to go on the run because Esau's not happy when he figures out what's happened. He tries to kill him for years, but he doesn't. Um, Jacob takes off and, and Jacob, you know, is Israel. Jacob, that's, that's who he's going to be called Israel in a while. Uh, in Genesis 28 uh, through uh, 36, Jacob marries uh, Rachel and Leah, and he has a lot of sons. And uh, from him come the tribes that we know of, and you can look in that. And then... Um, in Genesis 37, we start to get into Joseph's life. And, uh, you know, it's just fascinating to watch all of the events that take place through the scriptures and, and what Joseph does and how, how God leads Joseph um, to, uh, to take care of everything. And Joseph's life, you know, Joseph was a person of great integrity uh, and he, he did the right thing. We, we only, he's one of the few people in scripture where... All we see recorded is his good stuff. I'm not saying he was perfect, but because but, uh, only Jesus was perfect. But most of the people that we read about in Scripture, we get their good stuff and their not good stuff, which I always tell you is why I like, I like to read Scripture because um, if, if all we ever got was everybody's good stuff in the book, we'd, we'd give up. But you get all their mess, too, because all of us are a mix, right? I hope you, hope you, hope you realize that. So... But with Joseph, he's, we get his good stuff in Scripture. And, and in Joseph, in a lot of ways, um, there's a lot of sort of things that, that he's, he's like Jesus in. Um, you know, it's, it's not it's not perfect, but there's a lot of tie-ins and a lot of similarities in their life and what happens. You know, they're, they're, um, they're, they're both uh, falsely accused. They, they uh, you know, have things happen. Their brothers sort of reject them. Um, they're, they're, God is, is you know, uh, their fathers are for them and sort of exalt them over the other ones. There's a whole lot of similarities what happens. And Joseph does the right thing in every situation, and he's tossed into prison for doing the right thing, well, often. And, and so uh, he has issues that happen. Things happen because he does the right thing. And yet it always works out eventually. So there's a lot of uh, understanding that we have to sometimes wait. And that's hard for us. We don't like to wait. But, but sometimes we're waiting on God to put everything in place and that we can trust him in the process. And even though we, we may go through things we don't want to go through, God's still good. And we can hang on to that, that he's got us. And, you know, fortunately, what we have over time, 
when you've walked this thing out for a while is you can look back and see how he's had you and the things that he's done. And you start to get to the realization that even if you're going through something that's difficult, he's, he's not going to stop doing what he's always done for you. It's just not going to. It's in his nature to do those things. But sometimes in the stream of events, things happen that, that just happen. Go and talk to Joseph, who, you know, went from uh, a family to being thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold to slavery. Um, he's, he's out there in Egypt. He gets, uh, he's made a, you know, he's a slave. He rises up to sort of be the, the number one guy in that house. And then the wife is, you know, trying to seduce him, which he refuses. And then she accuses him rape, which wasn't even so far from the truth. He ends up in prison. And then in prison, once again, he's sort of risen up to where he's very important in the prison. Uh, and he interprets dreams and everything and finally gets to Pharaoh in order to do that, interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh says, OK, well, you're going to run everything um, other than me. You're in charge. Pretty good deal for how, how he went to this, the most powerful country at that point in time and became the number two guy under Pharaoh. And basically, Pharaoh says, I'm going to let you deal with it. Uh, and he does. And he prepares them for this great famine. And he's in place to deal with the famine that happens in Israel. And so, you know, Israel comes in into this journey and he's there to take care of them. And then uh, Joseph dies in uh, 1805 B.C. He's 110 years old. And that ends the book of Genesis. And that ends my time. If you're watching online, thanks for doing it. We're going to pick it up there next week. The Exodus account is fascinating. You hear me talk about it all the time. If you're here on a weekend, I'm looking forward to doing that one with you. But we'll end it right there. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.